I think I skipped a few things in there. What is that? Isn't it Indiana Jones? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Indiana Jones kick because I mentioned it in the sermon a few times yesterday. You did. I had a reference to Moses getting his face melted off like the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And also sure. that I wanted a replica of the Golden Fertility statue. Yeah. Did that, anybody offer to buy it for no, you? Nobody has offered to buy that for me okay. yet. Uh, we'll yet. Right. It's not yet. too late. It's not too late. It's $350, I think. That's a steep <laughs> gift for a prop replica. Yes. But it would look so good in my office. Yeah, and in my office as well. Yes, because we share an office. We do. Which is not where we are. We haven't been. You haven't been in our office in how long? Like you don't go up the stairs even to our office. I had to delete your messages off your phone because they were six months old and your phone was yelling at me. I go up into our office. Yeah, sometime early in COVID, I brought everything I needed out of my office and I put it in like the store, the closet for the kids. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't been up there in like. I think I went up there in August. <laughs> <laughs> so it really has been a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been up there every Sunday to get my Slytherin robe so I can preach. Important. Very important. Yeah. Well, Taylor, there's just so much to get through today. I would yeah. say this episode might be a little more substantive on the weekend roundup and less on the content in the middle, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, we've got to give congratulations to a listener. Okay. Uh, Mark Waldrop texted me this week. Yeah. And he said, hey, um, long-time listener, second-time caller, because he actually <laughs> texted me the week before about something. I had commented last week that I couldn't believe nobody had taken advantage of the fly landing on Mike Pence uh-huh. and done a Jeff Goldblum meme. Yeah. Well, it turns out that on Saturday, so two nights before we recorded last mm-hmm. week, in fact, he had made an appearance on SNL, and they did this very parody. They did. I watched it. I think the same day, Mark text you or call you to you i you saw it i saw it on snl but i hadn't seen it before we well i'm gonna say a few things i don't hold myself embarrassed accountable as a three might for two reasons number one my god i'm almost 40 i don't stay up till 10 30 anymore to watch anything (laughs) and because i'm off the facebooks um i don't get those like two to three minute you must see this clip suggested to me anymore well also to be fair and i'm um I think those things were both legitimate, but it was not like the highlight of the episode. Well, wasn't it? I imagine it was the political thing, so it had to be the beginning, right? It was in the cold open. Cold, yeah. 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 So, and it was funny. I don't know. It feels to me like um, the open used to be a million different things. And then since like Trump got elected, it is a political thing every week. Every week. Yeah. Um, well... Anyhow, I have decided to congratulate myself and go the other way with it. Good, good. I like that. Um, and here's why. Okay, tell me why. Because I thought of that without knowing that SNL thought of that too. Yeah. So you are you could be on SNL. You should be a writer for SNL. Yeah. <laughs> I like the confidence with which you said yeah. Well, I'm looking at our video screen. It doesn't look like your voice is picking up very well. Hold on. I'm going to hit pause and stop. Oh my gosh, we're back. This is so great. You're fine. <laughs> Yeah, good. The people will be relieved. Yep. What high-tech editing they're getting (laughs) delivered. So, yeah, that happened. That was number one. Number two, um, I wanted to also offer a, a, just a, I needed to pay more attention to my language. So last week we did this whole thing about Senator Harris in that moment where I'm like, and then at the, the close of that part of the discussion to transition, I did one of these thoughtless word transitions where I said, 
great job, Senator Harris, on reining it in, which, taking at face value, really undermines the point of the whole discussion, which sure. is she shouldn't have to rein it in. But sure. because of where we are with sexism and culture. So, and I don't know if anybody heard that and noted it. I heard it and did one of those, ooh, internal cringes. Mm-hmm. And just wanted the space to, and it's our podcast, so I can. Yeah, you can. Say, no, can. you don't need to rein it in. But my goodness. No. Great job at something. I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you compliment her in that moment? Well, I do think it's maybe like, great job on like standing up for yourself uh, without being hateful or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I do think that still is, it requires composure. Composure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, Sometimes there are reasons to get angry, and that's fine. Yeah. And then also sometimes it's like you can push through. Well, we're going to probably talk about some of this later in our yeah. episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other correction from the episode. Okay. I had said in talking about John Adams off the cuff, this is kind of like the fact check, fact check. You know how Monica uh-huh. and Dax do fact check? I'm doing it at the beginning of the next episode. Okay. Uh, that nobody really from Washington to Lincoln had opposed slavery aside from Adams and Quincy Adams. Uh-huh. That's not true. Okay. I was later recalling my long listens to the um, presidential podcast, right. and essentially the Whig Party, which was short-lived with two different presidents who died early and had vice presidents who consequently were also Whig, but right. the Whig Party in part was founded on opposing slavery. Oh. Yeah, so uh, the first William Henry Harrison uh-huh. died after a month in office. and He's his from VP. Indiana. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his VP was John Tyler, who really solidified kind of the role of the vice president taking over in those moments. Oh, wow. And then later, it was um, Zachary Taylor, who was really um, neither this nor that. And so it was sort of seized by the Whig Party, I think. Now I'm second-guessing myself. You know what happened? It's the Rick Carlisle thing. Everything's foggy in my mind. <laughs> his VP was Millie Fillmore, who I think consequently took over the same thing, no, but was less committed to that, that principle. When you said Millie Fillmore, I was like, there was a woman? Millard, Millard, Fillmore, lesser known. Okay, so those are my fact checks from last week's episode. You got anything? Um, Any fact checks? Yeah. No, I do not. Now I'm wondering if I should listen more astutely. No, you're Um, good. We, I, I only listened to our episode last week 17 times. So. Okay, that's good. You're really boosting our numbers. (laughs) I don't get those numbers. But speaking of us and numbers, we have some thank yous this week. We do. Rosie Ozy reviewed us online. Oh my gosh, yes. On, on Thank iTunes, you. as did Bucky Badger. Who guessed that who that is? That's your friend, right? Yeah, Erica Graham. Yeah. Who, by the way, um, she preached in February for Women's Month. She did great. No, March. March. March, yeah. She March first ish. Great job. Oh my gosh. Is that true? No, yeah. So here's what happened. That the, feels like three years ago. I'm the, not going to The lie. next week. I preached, and the first weekend of spring break, but like nobody was there because it was the first weekend of spring break, right. and then we never went back to church. So a lot of people's last memory of UBC in the flesh yeah. was Erica Graham. Well, that is, has to be a great memory because she did a really good job. She did do a good job. Okay. Um, thank you. She was Bucky Badger. You know, she's from Wisconsin. That was yeah, her name on the you. review. Um, so thank you. And then we have Andy Andy S., who we speculated yeah, is Andrew Smith shapey? But <laughs> she said, I to be honest, I mostly skip the NBA parts. You know for sure it's him. I don't. I haven't checked in, okay. but I hope it is because well, he's Andrew Sabanis Chaffee. So if it's not you, we're sorry for misidentifying you and identifying you in this podcast. Uh-huh. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. If it's not you, then <laughs> if you don't even listen, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, Andy S, we are so grateful, are and grateful. I should say Rosie Ozzy is Rosemary Watson. Yes. So thank you all. We're up to 15 likes. We They're all five stars. I'm waiting for somebody to come in with a one or a four or something interesting. Yeah. And are, are you? 
I'm not. I hope we never get a one. Well, I'll tell you this. Yesterday I was on the UBC podcast. Uh-huh. Just, I think I was trying to help my mom find it or something. Uh-huh. And so I could see our, the UBC podcast reviews. And we had 28. And at first I thought it was ours. This one. Oh, and you were like, oh my Oh my gosh, God. we got 13 somewhere. <laughs> but then I started also seeing that there was, I think, one three-star rating on that one and one one-star rating. Okay. And I am very curious about those. Yeah. Um, but not a review that said why. <laughs> well, the other day. I don't do this all the time. This is, sounds very 3E, but okay. I don't. I um, was on Google, mm-hmm. and we have 14 UBC ratings. On Google? Yeah. And, and there's, I'm glad I had a place in life where I can laugh at this now, but one of them was like, the pastor's super interested in hearing him talk about himself all the time. Oh, no! <laughs> talking yesterday um about how your preaching is so interesting oh well let's not do this thank you no stop i feel like you're worse than me at taking compliments but your preaching <sighs> is very good and very interesting but i do think i talk some about people myself are, no i do think some people are used to boring preaching i don't i don't mean to call out other people but and so it is just like it, your preaching is like your personality. Your brain moves very fast and goes a bunch of different places. Yeah. And I think for some people, that does it's feel. so different than well, like what they're used to. early on, I decided I would cast myself in the uh, tradition of TED Talks. Okay. Or, um, yeah, just really great YouTube presences and less mm-hmm. in the, like, three-point Baptist preacher. Yes. Right. And it's, I'm inductive. Yeah. Which I do think some people aren't just aren't used to it. Yeah. I don't know that America is very inductive. We tend to be linear. Yeah, I don't so, know what America is, but... Yeah, who knows? Okay, let's go on to pop culture now. Let's. Okay, you have me um, obsessed with The West Wing. I'm I mean, five episodes in. Aaron do, Sorkin, what a doll. Say, do I have you obsessed with The West Wing, or does Aaron Sorkin no, who, have you Who does dialogue better? No one. No one. Give I've, me Christopher Nolan for plot and kind of metaphysics. Give me Aaron Sorkin for dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I'd, yeah, and in, in this last episode used Ava Marie, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite pieces of music. There is in season one. There's a number of good like musical cues that happen, and it's just um, season one is really, really, really good. It's all really good, but I do feel like you're still getting to know them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're and becoming so friends. There's a lot of good um, moments that happen. So here's what I want to talk about. I don't know if you remember this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, they're playing basketball. Uh-huh. And um, the president, like, uh, he does this thing where he'll go, go and get all-stars to help him when he's losing. Like, they were playing tennis, and he got Steffi Graf. Yeah. So um, there's this person who walks out, and the real yeah. person is Juwan Howard. Right. From the Fab Five from Michigan. Right. And, you know, he's not that character. And I kind of thought, like, are they trying to play dumb with us, and it's a joke, and it's Juwan Howard on the show? Right. But it's not. He's, like, the... Whatever he, he has, works like for. a different name. Yeah, yeah, he works for the government. So Juwan Howard is acting as this person, but this is so strange to me. So in the dialogue, they ask the Juwan Howard character if he played NCAA ball, uh-huh. and he says yes, and he says he went to the Final Four on the Duke team. Uh-huh. Which, if you know the history of the Fab Five and the Duke ri- ri- rivalry, right? That's an incredibly interesting choice that I feel like had to have some intent, and I can't figure out. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but I... Have... I would have thought, like, if Sorkin just wrote that, like, without thinking, Joan Howard would have objected. Like, you can say I'm from any other school in yeah. the country, but I'm not saying right. I'm from Let's Duke. Right, let's say North Carolina or right. something like that, yeah. Um, 
That is interesting. You know, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that and put that all together. Um, but that is interesting that he didn't. Well, but I've heard, you know, that I'm listening to the West Wing podcast right now. And they talk about how specific Aaron Sorkin is with dialogue and language. Yeah. And how... Um, well, I did think maybe... I don't know if he would have meant to dig at Duke somehow. But he, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know what it would be. I just thought it was... If you've seen the Fab Five, 30, and 30, you just think that's such an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose another reality could be that Sorkin wrote it. He didn't know the Michigan Duke story, and John Howard was just a gentleman in the moment and didn't want to make an issue of it. Right. That is interesting. We should have a West Wing podcast is what should happen. Okay. Where we talk about the West Wing? Yeah. We could just talk about the West Wing for a little bit every week on this on this podcast. Well, people, people like Andy, Andy S. might say, to be honest, I skip over the West Wing stuff. They might. They might. Okay, here's another thing. I have a movie review for you. Okay. I don't know if you've noticed, Adam Sandler seems to have like a contract with Netflix to do all these movies he's uh, been yeah, doing. I, I think I've even heard that. Maybe that's why I said that. Well, last night, um, or no, Saturday night, Lindsay and I were scouring, and I, I don't know, I didn't want to do Shit's Creek. I didn't want to, she's not watching West Wing, so I'm like, right. I want to do a movie. So I picked, it's called Hubie Halloween. Okay. And my God, was it bad. Oh, no. Which I can't Hubie figure. Halloween? Yeah. It, it was like, um, it was very Sandler-ish. It was like the worst version of other Sandler movies. Which, to be honest, Yikes. I've not thought any of these Netflix ones are great. He had like a shtick with a canteen, or like a thermos, because uh-huh. he did Canteen Boy, you know. He uh-huh. had like an object that was sort of funny, but he did his voice the whole time. Yeah. You know, like the, stop looking at me, Swan. Not yeah. that one, but where it's like, he was hard to understand. Yeah. It, know you know what, now about. I think about a lot of it was, I think, cut out of the mold of the Canteen Boy. Okay, wow. Hubie Halloween. Yeah, it was. I I can't. And so. <laughs> it stuns me though, because like I just don't. I don't know if that humor is bad now, or if I've matured. But like when I think back to Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Oh my gosh. Just. Billy gut wrenching laugh. Movie. I thought was just the funniest movie. I should go back now and watch them. Think I think to see if I still think they're if funny. You still think it's also, funny. cameos in this movie. Uh-huh. Shaquille O'Neal. Oh wow. Yeah. Um. Ben Stiller. Um, oh I was glad to see Tim Meadows back. Um, he was in it. He had a him and Maya Rudolph had more prominent roles. Okay. Um, Rob Schneider makes an appearance. He has a character. Um, who's the Steve Buscemi? How do you say his name? Yeah. He's one a bigger character. But the reason I was so excited uh-huh. is because Julie Bowen was in the movie, and I'm like, oh, oh this will be good because you know yeah. we haven't seen her since um, Happy Gilmore. Right. And um, I had forgot altogether that they did that movie until I started watching again. Yeah. So it would it felt like pieces of all the previous Sandler movies. It just wasn't funny. Oh, interesting. Felt like a waste of time. I do wonder if it's like I mean you know it's been what fifteen years since yeah. those were like sort of. Yeah. I mean, fi- like fifteen to twenty years, I think. Right, and, and we've had The Office, we've had Parks and Rec. Yeah, humor. We've had has well, Seinfeld. They had access to at the time. Yeah. But I think humor's well, changed. Well, they're doing a different thing, right? I do. It's interesting to think about. Is it like is that stuff just not super funny anymore? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't think I'm going to watch it. <laughs> you might be feel good about not watching <laughs> um, Okay, one other thing. Okay. I don't know what to do about this. When you go search our podcast on the internet. Okay, right, yeah. Or on pod, or iTunes, they give you suggestions. Yeah. You know what our suggestions are right now? Right this moment? Well, I don't. In, no, in general. Just sort of generally? Yeah. Um, it is sort of like other... Pot pastors with podcasts. Well, it's Joel Olstein. Yeah. 
Uh, Sadie um, Robertson, you know her from the Duck Dynasty? Yeah. Stephen Futrick? Yeah, I don't... I he, He's got a mega church in North Carolina. Okay. I see videos of him on the internet sometimes. Yeah. And he sometimes says reasonable oh, yeah. things. Gift, gifted communicator for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't think we'd have the same theology. Vibes are different. Vibes are very different. So it's my fault. Like, I registered us as Christianity. And so I think, oh, okay. you know, iTunes isn't like a... Well, our, also our first episode was about Gen Z. And that's Sadie... What's her name? That's Rob, true. Is it Robinson? Robert, Robertson? Ro- I don't know. I thought it was Robertson. Robertson. I don't know. She's, Duck Dynasty. She's got the Gen Zers. So... Yeah. Maybe that's why. <laughs> it's... Uh, Something. If you think it's because we, Here's of how we registered it. If you could pick any podcast to come up under us, which ones would you oh pick? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, okay, first of all, have you ever listened to Binge Mode? It's my favorite podcast. Yeah, because I did, when we went to Carlsbad Caverns one year, I did the whole first season of Harry Potter and oh, like okay. a Game of Thrones special. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that is one of my favorite, favorite podcasts. Again, I feel I should like issue a. Um, Josh, the other like a few weeks ago, issued like a he can't really recommend it. Recommend it because it is like the la- the language and stuff like that is maybe not everybody's cup of tea. But it is one of my favorite podcasts. They started doing with Game of Thrones and then they went through Harry Potter and episode by episode. Yeah, or chapter by chapter. chapter by no, chapter. they do a few chapters. Well, it's like time. yeah, it depends on the like. I feel like in the first couple of books, they do bigger chunks because it's like you can do bigger chunks and then yeah sometimes it gets to like two or three chapters at a time so okay now you ask me what mine would be yeah what would yours be? you know what would it be yeah i, I do know what it would be it would be armchair expert right that's right yeah because dax and i are the same the same no we're not but he's probably a I seven aspire. right yeah he no i think he's an eight now you think now that he's an eight yeah i used to think seven i'm pretty sure he's an eight Interesting. Uh, and you know why? You know what clarified it for me? What? You did. I did. When we were talking about eights one day, and I was under the misnomer that eights want power. Yeah. Or want control. And you, see, you said, actually, more than anything, eights just don't want to be controlled. Yeah. That was very illuminating. Well, that's that's straight from Suzanne Stubio. She well, says. She can have credit. Eights looked around. When they were very young, they looked around at the world, and they saw that there are people who are in control and people who are controlled and their whole thing is just like i don't want to be controlled yeah so it's not that they even want control or power necessarily right they just don't want someone exercising power over them and the other thing about him Uh is you know i think about well he he seems to love the conflict um roar um, we'll talk about underneath the veneer of the eight is a little boy or a little girl. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely true of him. Yeah. He's got that going on. Yeah. He's so. sweet. Okay. Now to our main topic. Actually, you know what? You know what we should do? What? Let's take a, a pause. Yes. And get a word from our sponsors. Yeah. Every Sherlock needs a Watson, every Batman needs a Robin, and every business needs a sidekick. And boy, do we have a good one to suggest for you. Waco's very own sidekick agency can take your business from blah to bliss. Sidekick has the answer for all your marketing needs, including 
Branding, strategy, photography, website development, graphic design, photography, said that twice, film, golly gee, Taylor, they've even got drones that can do aerial shots. Oh my gosh. Don't believe me? Just ask Coastal Bend Distilling Company, our friends over at the Refit Revolution and Baylor University to name a few of their trusting clients. Ooh. Taylor, can I tell you about my favorite thing that Sidekick has done? Yes, for sure. It definitely has got to be the Star Wars trailers they made for Disney. Listen to this testimonial from Janet from Marlin. She says, before I hired Sidekick... I was only making a million dollars a year on my business. After I hired Sidekick, that number doubled. Wow, do I oh love those gosh. guys. If Mark was single and I was 20 years younger, rawr. Oh, so wow, I, Janet. So call Sidekick today to get your help with all your marketing needs. You can find them at Sidekick.agency or call 254-307-1162. That's 254-307-1162. Well, Taylor, fall is now here. Yeah. And you know what that means? Uh, what does it mean? It means it's time for some important home decorating. <gasps> wow. For all the best selection of locally sourced products that you'll um, need in your house, you know where I go? Where do you go? I go to Harp Design Co. Oh, my goodness. Harp has all the best home decor, including pumpkin spice candles, handcrafted candlestick holders, and my absolute favorite, which is hand-turned walnut cheese knives in Taylor. Okay. Yeah. You know um, what Harp does better than anyone? What? World-class handcrafted tables. I was talking with Jesus last week in my prayers, and you know what he was telling me? What was he telling you? He wished the Last Supper could have occurred on one of Clint's tables. (laughs) I was just on the website today in their seasonal section, and I saw some dried thistles, cotton Chanel tote bags, and their world-famous HDC pumpkin sets. So holy smokes, if you want to be the envy of your Instagram friends, fill up your background with Harp Design Co. Home Goods and Furniture. All this and more can be found at harpdesignco.com. That's harpdesignco.com. Or do yourself a favor and just take a little trip over there to the storefront on 808 North 15th Street. Okay, mm-hmm. and we're back. Um, we hope you enjoyed that word from our sponsors. Yes, and thank you to our... We definitely um, are sponsored by. <laughs> <laughs> and they know that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for our sponsors. Um, okay, we, our topic for today, I don't know. It was either this or I'm not sure what we're going to call it yet. That'll be evident to you when you download this because it'll have a title. Yeah. I want to talk specifically about an event in history. And it was formative for me on several levels. Yeah. And we've used it to continually process for a long time. Yeah. And it's stirred in me just some incomplete conversations in myself that some of this, I think, what came out in the cancel culture stuff. Mm-hmm episode but i think it's deeper than that for me and i don't know how much of it we're gonna get to or how honest i'll be able to be but i do think it's a helpful talking point well and like you said i think we have discussed this almost not like every day or anything but it has come up in our conversations as we've been processing different things for four years i think it was like about four years ago that this event happened right three or four years ago year and a half you're again I don't know. I don't know time. <laughs> but let's maybe that's the way I acknowledge like, wow, how how fast is the world unfolding? Yeah. Yeah. It's like so it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. So let's go ahead and name it so we're not leaving a mystery anymore. Okay. So if you want to Wikipedia this, it's the January two thousand nineteen Lincoln Memorial Confrontation. Um, to give some names, uh, Nathan Phillips, who is an Ameri- uh, Native American activist, was there for the Indigenous Peoples March in Washington. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Sandman. Um, was a Covington Catholic High School in Park Hills, Kentucky student mm-hmm. who is there for the Right to Life March. I think uh-huh. that's what they were. Yeah. So you have um, kind of several different kind of 
heavy political ideologically represented individuals yeah. on the Lincoln Memorial. There's also, we learned from the video that came out like days later after the short truncated video came mm-hmm. out, a third group that was probably more antagonistic to what happened than either of these individuals or their respective groups, which was, and I want to get this right, the, the Hebrew Israelites, they call themselves? The, a group of, it says there was a group of five black Hebrew Israelites. Is what the group is called. Okay, so this is a really interesting group. There is strong evidence that one of the ten lost tribes of Israel um, migrated to, I don't know if it, it's not Ethiopia, but somewhere in Africa. Sure. Um, and that, actually, for a different day, a different story, there's some really interesting archaeological evidence that has emerged in the last decade that mm-hmm. further proves this. But um, so these folks um, are descendants and lineage, spiritually, mm-hmm. I don't know how they claim it, of okay. this group, but they're like really fundamentalists. And in fact, um, in the interview, Nathan Phillips, the Native American I, I watched, talked about, he compared, he's like, oh, they seemed a lot like this other group I know called Westboro Baptist Church. And um, they're interesting in that they have pretty bigoted beliefs like mm-hmm. women, homosexuals, um, all these lists, including continental Africans. Like they don't like continental Africans either. Wait, that I know. seems so it's strange. absurd. It doesn't make sense to me because that's where they're claiming they're from and who they are. But anyhow. So they, um, if you watch this hour-long video that was leaked two days after this incident, yeah, you have a pretty clear picture that they were kind of the chief antagonist in this moment. Um, but mm-hmm. what what happened? Or do you want to jump in at this point? Well, I was going to say that um, that is sort of jumping the gun a little bit because so the first thing that came out is this video that you are probably familiar with. I feel like it was kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, for at least that weekend and then went on and was sort of striking in that um so what what the video shows which is what we now know to be a truncated like picture of what really happened is um so that it shows nathan phillips who is this native american activist and he's dancing um and then nicholas sandman is the kid from kentucky and he has a MAGA hat on, and he's standing there observing. Um, and but the, I mean, certainly the picture that was painted for the for the people who saw this shortened video was this. It's this, you know, sort of um, tall, very obviously affluent white kid with a MAGA hat on, and he is making. His face looks sort of like smirky. Like it looks like he's sort yeah, of... Yeah, I would say smug. Yeah, smug. He's like smugly looking at this Native American um, activist as he performs a dance. Um, Which is a, a prayer I've come to found out. Yes. And so there was a lot of outrage and a lot of sort of holding up this video and picture as... as um, an image of like sort of maybe conservative people or uh, just, you know, a certain type of white person that looks down on people from other backgrounds. Yeah, and I think probably another subtext is, you know, obviously he was a high school kid, but spoiled, bratty, Mm -hmm. frat kid, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, probably isn't thoughtful and is just there in arrogance and causing trouble. Well, and I will say the thing about that video that is is so interesting to me now that so as Josh said, we moved uh, you know a couple of days later. There's this longer video that gets leaked that sort of 
I mean, it's a completely different narrative at that point when you learn what was really happening, which is that there was this third group sort of being antagonistic and actually... Well, will you sort of fill out the longer video? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was... In, in, and actually, I got less comfortable talking about all this as I started reading up more this weekend to prepare for this okay. in terms of my judgments on everybody involved. Okay. Um, like Nathan um, Phillips, for example, who, if, if you have a protagonist in the story, it's, I think, him. Yeah. Because he, he stepped between the Covington students and the um, Hebrew Israelites because they were actually physically getting closer. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and that's why he started beating the drum to say this prayer to diffuse and I believe him like he definitely enters that space it looks like he's doing that um, but he also has given conflicting statements in print in press about what was happening mm-hmm. um, in his perception like there's one story that would say like the kids joined him it was a joyous moment they were jumping together they were singing in unity it was mm-hmm. a good thing which is the narrative I got the day after when I saw the full-length video of him um, mm-hmm. Where he clearly enters um, n- Nick Sandman's space, uh-huh. like the the truncated video, you just see the two of them like an inch apart, and that's where he looks so smug. And you can't, t- you don't know who came into whose space. Right, Nick Sandman um, was standing there. Nathan Phillips definitely entered his space, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some de- debate about whether um, Nicholas Sandman could have moved or not. But sure. to me, he looks like a very uncomfortable 16-year-old who has a camera on him. Sure. And there is footage of him trying to diffuse things at other points over the hour. Okay. So there's all that. Um, but, you know, then the other thing you could say is um, <laughs> since 2019, he has certainly galvanized his image and presence on Twitter and otherwise. Yeah. And now I'm talking about, again, Nicholas Sandman is the sort of person that people thought he maybe was, including yeah. he appeared to speak at the Republican National Convention, um, which in and of itself I don't think is a judgmental thing other than his rhetoric very publicly has been um, very disappointing. Well, and you know the thing I find interesting is like um, I remember a lot of the uh, sort of conversation around the video and around the image was like every, you know, sort of people saying like every woman, every person of color recognizes this, the look on this kid's face. Like, We've all seen this before. We've all been on the other side of a look like this Mm -hmm. that really like sort of is obviously a look that is removing the fullness of humanity in you, Mm -hmm. you know, or not removing it. But this is a person who is not. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I I remember feeling so conflicted. Because I felt like, yeah, I've seen that look. I know what Mm -hmm. that look looks like. And I've received it. and, And then... The larger narrative came out, which was that, like, he had not, I mean, that he was, he was, like, a trapped 16-year-old kid, you know? And also, like, I know a lot of 16-year-olds, and I have throughout the course of my life, and they don't always make, you know, he was at least just, like, standing still. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, it just is, um, did he make the best choice he could possibly make? Maybe not. Was he overwhelmed? Probably so. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of cameras. There were multiple groups yelling at him. So um, it does sort of repaint. I mean, like, I, I remember feeling a lot of a sense of, like, wow, I, like, full-on went in with, like, a judgment of who this kid was and what he was trying to do in that moment. And the larger narrative is much more messy and much more gray 
and you know obviously that's mostly how life <laughs> goes well and um we're getting to where i want us to get to i think it's also worth saying um um so I, let me reorient the focus now okay part of the reason the stung and this is about ego is because i posted about the salmon thing in real time so it was a saturday night i think i don't remember what night it broke I could go back a little Probably. bit. But what I wrote is I said two things. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, I've never been more, no, I, this never been, but like, embar- I think I said embarrassed to be Christian and white. Yeah. And then number two was I was that kid at one point and I changed because people graciously love me. Right. So I, th- I felt like offered a form of judgment and joined the chorus of voices, but also tried to, um, as I'm off prone to do, get to the constructive grace thing without sure. really dealing with the, the severe hurt that is there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I got lit up on social media <laughs> <laughs> in a way that probably wasn't horrible because I'm a three and so sensitive to these things really felt like this is excruciating. Right. Okay. So this went on for a day and I, I felt like I tucked my tail between my legs online and okay. said, you're right. I need to think about this. Uh, one salient point that stands today, our friend Cher Long said, would they have gotten the same, would you give the same response if they were kids of um, color? Yeah. Which that's a whole different topic, but that's true. That's yeah. and I that one, like I said, just on its own, that's a great comment. And so did you did you sort of feel that you got lit up in like both directions? No, it was it was from my left leaning friends. Okay. Um, I have another point about the right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I, I took it like that's what you do. You go on social media, this is you have to take yeah, a risk, you have to what look happens, yeah. and you know, I'm not a deleter. You don't get to delete just because mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. Sure. Um, do all these things so then the video comes out. The larger, the longer video. Yes, and the context is added. I was also going to say, this isn't just our opinion. I mean, he, he took CNN to court. He took the Washington Post to court, multiple news outlets, and they, they settled, which they yeah. didn't fight it, right? No. So this isn't just how we feel. This is like the court of law also felt like there was a problem with this. There was some misrepresentation right. that happened. Um, so then I wrote a retraction the next day, and I said I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined the chorus in judging this kid and, um, I didn't get as much judgment, but the thing that happened then was all my right leaning friends were like, Oh, this is so great. You know, like uh-huh. they came out of the woodwork to express their, because it was their way to say, Oh, look, see the, the left is wrong about these things all the time. The media is offering fake news, which for me was its own kind of just as bad. Right. Um, and I had some friends on the left, I think were disappointed and I acknowledged that in my post that, but I felt like. You know, um, if I were in his shoes, I would want people to apologize. And thousands of celebrities retracted their stuff on Twitter yeah. after that video came out. Yeah. So um, here, here's, I think, where my question is. Sure. Uh, Paul says in his laundry list of things about love, mm-hmm. love endures all things. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to make sense of the endures all things and the real place anger gets to have in culture. And I don't think we as Americans know this formula either. And the reason we're using this case is because I think now we have a picture of this two years later almost where um, it's it's complicated in so many facets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's some really easy ways to look at it. Like if, if somebody's in an abusive marriage, they need to get out. Right. Um, and... As my friend Rod pointed out in that sermon, um, sometimes hate and anger allow us the space to get to this place emotionally where we can hold the boundaries or we can do something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, what does it mean for us to 
hold out the space for enduring all things. Because like for me to endure something through the media like that isn't much at all because I'm a person of privilege mm-hmm. and um, I, um, I'm i not directly affected by most of what happens, right? Yeah. But um, I also think like the, the kind of mob culture that exists on both the left and the right sure. is not productive, but it's given license to exist in a way now that I don't think is held to accountability. Yeah. Uh, I do think this is very interesting. It's an interesting question. Because, well, it's a little interesting to me that you seem to be saying that you can't, like, if love endures all things, how, like, where's the place for anger in that? But I think, I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Yeah, that's a good point. Like... You can be angry and you can endure all things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so, you know, obviously, I think I struggle with this more interpersonally than like in a large, than in a sort of meta way. But for me, it's my, it's my, uh, it's the fact that I feel such a deep call to love everyone, like to, to believe that everyone is created in the image of God that makes me so mad at like racist people Mm -hmm. and not just because their racism hurts people of color although it does but also because i'm mad at them for for not living up to who they are created to be Mm. do you know what i mean like it is out of love for them that i'm like why are you making this choice it is like ripping your soul apart you know yeah well yeah i've thought long and hard about this and i think Again, as I said, that I told you before, this feels as vulnerable for me as I think the abortion episode did for you. Yeah. And it's because I'm not, I'm unfinished in my thoughts. And you can hear it in how I'm describing this. You can hear what I'm reaching for. Sure. I haven't quite concluded. I did have one observation that I think makes sense of my internal struggle is by instinct, I like to be the most conservative person among liberals and the most liberal person among conservatives. Sure. And in my 13 years at UBC, there has been a really big shift. Sure. Um, to where without knowing it, kind of still is the residue of evangelicalism, even though we were um, generous in our orthodoxy and early adopters of, um, what would they call it, the um, emergent movement. Yeah. We were probably still culturally a pretty conservative group. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that means a lot of people were even voting Republican then no. at the church, but it means like culturally. we didn't even acknowledge that we we're completely racist. Sure. We probably were turned a blind eye to Me Too stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so now it's shifted the other side of me. And so I am in a and I it is much more uncomfortable for me to be the conservative among liberals than it is the liberal among conservatives. Yeah. Um, just because of my personality, which is beyond the politics, it's just conserving something and liberating something are different emotions within a person. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so that's at work in me. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, and and I don't know what to do with this because you can't get away from the power dynamic, which is a, I'm a white, successful Western person, and I feel like to call for what I see as clarity on these things feels like an advocacy for power sometimes Mm. which i know isn't right right um but i I still want the nuance of the discussion to happen Mm -hmm. and so um i had another point now and i got too far ahead of myself (laughs) and i can't recall it um ubc shifting etc okay so this is it and i taught i was talking to carrie about this today it is so important for me fisher for all of our friends yes who is is one of my teachers and just a great friend yeah um, it is so important for me that I feel like my positions have integrity 
And so whatever side I think I'm implicitly siding with, I pay way more attention to the nuance and the fairness of that presentation because it's the one I feel caught up into. Uh-huh. So, for example, um, there are so many things about the the platform of the right right now that I find problematic. Sure. But I don't spend much time calling it out because to me it's such a foregone conclusion that it's a problem. It's like, why waste your time? And I'm not advocating for that. Right. Um, so... I'm also, though, again, in this weird place where it's like I'm trying to bring clarity and sometimes criticism to a conversation that I think I belong to and want to be a part of, Mm -hmm. but I don't always think it's welcome there, and I don't know what to do with that. That is, yeah. I don't think anything about that is unreasonable. I think we are all undergoing sort of cultural revolution currently, and finding our place in that is hard. Do you know what I mean? Especially as people who have layers and layers of privilege. And so I think mistakes are bound to happen and we're going to have to eat our words and apologize and all that horrible slash really good stuff. Um, But I do think... um, I'm trying to think about my words. Um, I do think... Uh, I'm sorry. I just thought of a really funny TikTok Kathleen sent me last night, which feels pertinent. Okay. <laughs> we could use some levity. <laughs> and it was um, of this girl, this girl, she seems to be in her late teens, I think. And she says like, guys will say things like, um, I haven't cried in six years. And she's like, okay, Ryan, maybe go to therapy or something like that's not a flex. <laughs> It's not cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I do think that, um, I think whenever, in particular when I speak to men about these things, mm-hmm. um, so much of our culture is built up on the idea of like logic versus emotion. Yeah. And um, it's a false dichotomy, you know, because... Right. Even when you think you're being the most logical you possibly can be, there is also obviously emotion in that situation um, within you, within the other person, within uh, even the, the systems that you're talking about or whatever. And I mean like capital U, not you. Um, and I think that um, I think that everybody's on a learning curve of like part of the cultural revolution we are experiencing right now is that it's like, learning to acknowledge emotion in conversation and i think that that feels strange and i mean i guess so i guess i would say that like um i wonder if that is part of the thing you bump into is like that for you it feels strange in those conversations to employ logic and emotion in equal an equal balance does that seem true or does, does that seem off? No, that certainly seems like it could be true. I'm wondering what that would mean for me. So, you know, I listened to, um, again, Bob Woodward was on Dax Shepard recently. Mm-hmm. And Dax and Monica talk a lot about the emotional truth of something as opposed to. Yeah. And um, they mentioned that. And he has an entire lecture in his class. This is going to sound really sexist, but it's his thing. Where he brings in his wife to talk about emotional truth in journalism. Uh And it's a real thing. And it's a real, you know, in the same way we say that wisdom is a kind of knowing in a religious sphere that 
um, you know, epistemic assent is not. Mm-hmm. I think that's true of emotional truth as well. Sure. I just feel like in, okay, this here's a, a generalization that's probably not fair. Okay. The right, the right is over guilty of making it too logical. The left is over guilty of making it too emotional. Well, but you see, I would disagree. I think the, I think I, well, okay. I think what the right does is, um, uh, use the word logic. Uh-huh. I mean, like if you think about abortion, yeah. so much of that conversation is emotional and not logical. Yeah. So let me step back. You're right. And I, you know, I think Lindsey Graham is clearly, uh, said things recently that were very unguarded and emotional mm-hmm. um and that's even that it sounded pejorative i don't mean to equate the two but no. he's clearly operating out of his emotional self and not his logical I self do think that's true and, and that's you know like i understand that as a human um but it's like the quote i always get from churchill if you're under 30 and you're not a liberal you don't have a heart if you're over 30 you're not republican you don't have you a brain, brain. that yeah. the general broad strokes of the thing are there it's like republicans are cold-hearted and they're kind of general policy because they're just about bottom lines and sure. liberals are naive because you know it's it's not true all the way through right but um so you asked how it affects me sure do you want to jump in there no no okay so i think that maybe what's hard for me is i don't know what the end of the lot giving space for the emotional logic and truth is going to get us like if i had a clear picture of what's the end game uh-huh. then maybe i could get on board and be like okay i'm gonna work towards that with you but if it's just i'm going to hold a space yeah. for a v- emotional vitriol be thrown at people because people have wounds with that haven't been dealt with like i don't think that's gonna be good for them or the person that they're expressing that towards yeah but that that understanding implies that nobody ever okay i hear what you're saying especially if you think that it's like what what that does is just allows people to live in those emotions forever but Mm. i don't think that's the implication i think the implication is like or i think for me right i guess i should speak for myself yeah the hope is that in in um acknowledging those emotions Mm -hmm. what you do is create healthy space for people to experience the emotion talk about the truth of that emotion and then move on in healthy ways yeah, it's like Carrie says um, when I, I interviewed her and Emily Mills about anger one time, mm-hmm. and I said anger is not productive, uh-huh. and she said, "Well, it's not productive in the way you think it might be productive, but it's productive for people." Well, it's not efficient. Do you know what well, I mean? Yeah, it's that, not like the fastest way to get somewhere, uh-huh. but it it can be the healthiest way to get somewhere. Yeah, and I, I you know, I think I acknowledge this. Yeah, um, and I don't think emotions are bad. Sure. And I think emotions can draw us to truths mm-hmm. over and against logic sometime that we need culturally to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so here's my other way to say it. Like, a lot of the emotion that gets repressed by power is anger. From certain people, yeah. Okay. Um, maybe I need to let you qualify it but so I can make sure on the same page. But my thought is because the the marginalized are often angry sure. because they have been hurt right um the response is from that place of hurt and i don't feel like the response then it's like the not able to everything you get to speak when your wounds when they're healed um so is it maybe that part of the space to speak is the healing mechanism well you know, I think um, 
I think it's, you know, I don't know that you can like paint with a broad brush mm-hmm. with like from all marginalized people. Like mm-hmm. there are people probably who have, I would imagine there are people who rise up to be leaders in different situations and they have, you know, moved through their emotional pain. And also, so then it's like, so at some point, it's like if we tell people they can, oh gosh, I moved very far away. If we tell people they can only lead out of their scars as opposed to their from their wounds, mm-hmm. and we've got a whole group of people who are experiencing marginalization or oppression, and our understanding is then that they must be wounded, then how do they ever move out of that marginalization and oppression? Mm-hmm. So then at some point, it's like, the premise doesn't hold you can't you know because we have to let people um i mean i think the leaders of movements of like moving people out of marginalization and oppression like the people who should be leading those movements are the people who are experiencing that marginalization and oppression yeah and so um I think, I mean, I know what you're saying. Occasionally, some of those people, I mean, obviously, in every movement, there are going to be people who are um, leading out of unhealthy and dangerous places. Um, But I think mostly, like, when I think about most of the, like, people I know who are black and Christian, um, they have a better understanding of Christ than I do. Yeah. Uh, And it's, you know, I couldn't speak to exactly why that is, but I'd imagine some of that is because they understand what it means to be marginalized in a society in a way that I do not. And so it, in some ways it is, in fact, their wound that makes them closer to Christ. And I want to be careful and say that it's not like we should still be working to undo oppression and marginalization. Like, I'm not saying, like, isn't it great that some people are more like Christ because they've experienced that? It's not. Hey, it's bad. Louis Giglio. Oh, was it white blessing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. That's what I want to be very clear um, to say that, like, we should still work to undo that marginalization and oppression. But it's my experience that, like, those people actually would make better leaders, you know? So. Yeah, and I think that... I got through my emotional throw up now and I'm kind of retracting in my head. Um, no. Yeah. I, and so maybe it's making sense to me now while I pick this example because in my head, okay, we gave space to this and look what happened. Mm-hmm. Several media outlets got sued. Thousands of people retracted statements, embarrassed, and the kid's now worse for the wear. He's more galvanized yeah. in the thing we didn't want him to be than he did. So um, I don't know. But well, but part of that is, like, it wasn't... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Okay. It, it was not Nathan Phillips who led the charge against this kid. No. You know? It was this, like, sort of media, cultural moment. Yeah. And I do think that that is a thing that we can probably be more careful about. Is like, it was just this video, and other people decided what was happening in this video. And we didn't he- wait to hear from the from Nick Nick Sandman or Nathan Phillips about what was going on. Yeah, and so I think to return to where I was, that's what I 
am implicitly getting into and love bears all things. Mm-hmm. Like bearing in patience to believe that there could be a better story. Yeah. 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 I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, so, but what that then implies obviously is like when you hear from a person, you know, if Nathan Phillips was out here saying like, I was performing this prayer and this kid walked up into my space and then stared at me like that. Yeah. We listen to that voice. Yeah. But before we hear that voice or those voices, um, we don't jump to the worst conclusion. I think that's reasonable. And again, I feel like the reason I'm internally I'm fighting with myself is because I want the same thing that you want. Yeah. Um, I want for truth to have its day and for um, us to all, you know, depending on our perspective to power, vantage point or position to own that and to mm-hmm. fight for good. Yeah. Um, but I want it done better than I feel like it's being can be done. Yeah. And maybe that's a three instinct is to think that way. To, to want it to be done better. What I perceive better than it can be done. And maybe I'm just wrong about that right now. I don't know. Well, the thing I would like to say is that, like, I don't think your instinct to want to critique the thing that you're a part of is bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in a lot of ways, that's what we should do. Like, it's, I think it's healthier to critique the things that we are participating in. Mm-hmm. Or, and, you know, obviously, so in some ways that is... Um, what you feel to be the lean, the lean or tilt of UBC at this point. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it's your job as our like teaching pastor to say the things that are um, hard for us to hear. But to push back on that, okay. I agree. It's my job. But like, um, I feel like my job right now requires a constant stream of humility sure. because... I like I'm coming aware of how much power I have, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that like within the church ecclesiastically. I mean in culture, sure, right? And so um, I have to always be second guessing my instincts and my theological leanings now, in yeah. a good way. Like I welcome that. Yeah, <laughs> but it just is like it can be maddening too, especially for threes because it's like I want to get something done. I hear that, and also I think it's like. Um... That's a lot of people's whole lives that they've been having to do that, mm. you know? Like Kamala Harris. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and so... Um, I was just watching an episode of The West Wing where a guy's talking about trying to pay for sending his kid to college and how he doesn't know if he can do it. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, I like that it's hard. It should be hard, but like this, it feels this feels too hard, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's kind of the thing is like it should be hard to be a good person, not hard and like right in that it's impossible, but it should be hard to it is hard to like walk through this world and remember all of the things that we're supposed to remember and do all of the things that we're supposed to do and. That doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. I think when it's hard, it's like more important. Yeah. Maybe a different way to say it is 
I'm struggling to discern how to give my gifts right now mm-hmm. in leadership hmm. because of the patience I need to have with my own journey. Yeah. And that is hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. And because I've grown up in a country that really welcomed the pace and the yeah. gifts I have to give. Yeah. Um, it's been rewarded. Right. And so to be asked to be leading an organization where I have to be more thoughtful about that is really hard for me. Yeah. I'm getting redundant. No. Well, but I do also think that leading by example is like a lot of what pastoring is as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like even being a person who's tackling that is like, that is good leadership for all of us. Well, thank you. I, I, we have a lot of great people to look towards and learn um, from. I mean, that is absolutely true. I feel like we've given a lot of shout outs to UBC just like generally <laughs> over the course of the podcast, but like the folks are really good. F-O-L-X. Yeah. The folks are really good. I thought about that earlier when I said folks. Yeah. F-O-L-X. Yeah. Because that was in was Rosie Ozzy's yeah. review of us yeah. folks. And that was one of our discussions. Well, we got uh, 54, and a half, 54 and a half minutes plus commercials. Um, uh, NBA is over for a week now. Wow. Can we just... I listened to Elliot Cry talk last week. My God. What a genius. I mean... Elliot, thank you for being on our podcast. You are the best, and you're so smart, and we just are in awe of your basketball IQ. Yeah. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about football now, though. Okay. And I didn't watch any football this weekend, which is, like, a very strange choice for me. Well, but. I didn't, and I'm not watching much football right now because Baylor hadn't played in a couple of weeks. Wisconsin's not playing yet. Oh. Um, the Packers, though, has been my bright spot because they were 4-0 and and just got oh. obliterated yesterday. Played their worst game. Aaron Rodgers had his worst game since like 2017. I, it was so excruciating. So one of the games I did watch last night, which is so strange, was uh, the L.A. Yeah. Rams yeah. and San Francisco. A little bit of an upset there, I think. And they also, yeah, because, what is that man's name? The quarterback with the bum ankle. Oh, Garoppolo? Garoppolo? Garoppolo, that's it. He, um... Yeah, I think, I think they thought he was going to do really bad, but he ended up doing really good. Um, but they showed some clips from that game, including a really tragic um, interception Pick that Aaron Rodgers threw. Well, yeah. he, he hadn't thrown – he had not thrown an interception like 154 attempts, which was Jeez. far and away leading the NFL. He threw two within three passes. The second one was bounced off a receiver's hands. It wasn't his fault. Right. But it was just like the, and it, I mean, you know, you talked about LeBron and that Dallas series and that moment he knew. Yeah. Like the he threw that pick six and they were up ten nothing. The momentum went out the door. You know, there's another moment like that from the. Oh gosh, when were the Rangers in the World Series? Oh six, no eleven. The Cardinals Rangers. Uh okay. Uh, yes, no, it's Cardinals Rangers game six. Yeah, that game. Oh my gosh. It was the same. Like they lost that game. You know game. what's so crazy about that game? Are you talking about the freeze triple where he knocked in two runs to tie it? Mm-hmm. But then Kinsler got on in the top of the tenth and then Josh Hamilton hit a home run. They were back up two runs. Yes, but they lost. I know. <laughs> I just that game was I think the best baseball game I've ever seen in person. Not I wasn't there, but like live other than replays. Yeah. And, of course, I'm a Cardinals fan, but... Right. I don't feel that way. <laughs> it was a good baseball game, but... Oh, it was... It was, like, um, truly, like, we lost that game, 
And we had been up, I think, a few games in the series at one point. You were up 3-2. We won that game, and then we won game seven. And then, and just truly at the end of that game, it was like, oh, okay, so this well, was fun. I will say. We're not going to go to the World yes. Series, though. Uh, after we won game six, I was very confident yeah. we were going to win. That's that thing. Yeah. After that, David Freeze grew up in St. Louis, wanted to play St. Louis, was the hero yeah. in one of the most memorable two at-bats in the history of baseball. Yeah. And it was horrifying to watch. Whatever happened to Josh Hamilton? Him um, and T- Tim Tebow, some, they should start like a Sunday morning sports show for Christians. Is he a Christian? Hamilton? Baseball is my least watched. Yeah. He's situation. pretty, he went on Letterman and did like, you know, because he had that, he had a, did he have an MVP season? I think. He won an MVP. Something. I know he had that monster showing at the home run derby that one year. Uh-huh. When he didn't win it, but in round two he hit like forty home runs. It was uh-huh. insane and tired yeah. out. And then Justin Marneau from Minnesota actually won. But um, he was on Letterman, I think that year, and he just gave a very I think sincere but pretty robustly evangelical answer to Letterman's question. Letterman never did well with those things. <laughs> was visibly annoyed. <laughs> annoyed. And, and would say stuff like. Well, I don't know about that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What a guy. Made very uncomfortable by their faith pronouncements. Yeah. Because, you know, we're persecuted in America. We are so persecuted. (laughs) The the TV hosts don't like our (laughs) our confessions. Um, Yeah, I don't know. He got traded to somewhere in California at some point. I know he had problems falling off the wagon. Yeah, he did. So, well, I hope the best for him. Me too. I hope he's doing well. Josh, wherever you are, we hope you're doing well. We hope you and other listeners, Lynn Manuel, Miranda, <laughs> love. Love the podcast, Thanks. and we hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah. So, Packers, I'm hoping they bounce back. We're 4-1 and one now. That's not bad. If we finish 12-4, and four, which is... It'd be a great season. So you, if you win all the rest of the games, oh no no, you we have one. So loss, yeah, we're one loss. multiply our wins by three and our losses by. Yeah. Oh well, four. But still. Yeah, twelve and four. I take great. it. That'd be great. We'd probably be a one or two seed in the playoffs. Maybe a one seed or a two seed. Seattle looks good. It's gonna be very interesting to see how sports work this year, just yeah. because it feels. Well, we talked about this. Like, when does the NBA start again? Yeah. October is now. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. And then also, it feels like, you know, some of those scientists are saying that it's like we're heading for like a third peak or yeah. something like that. Not and good. Hey, speaking of just a sports observation, okay. how about the city of Tampa Bay? The Lightning won the Stanley Cup. The Rays are now in the World Series. And uh, the Buccaneers are heating up. That's like a not a huge city with three major market teams. Yeah. And um, they're all making a splash. It's felt that way in Dallas at some points. Do you know what I mean? Also, well, Dallas still is huge. Like, right? If you had the, the city. Me- if you had the so Metroplex, true. it's bigger than Houston. How big is... Oh, is that true? Yeah. Metroplex together is bigger than, bigger Houston, than Houston, which is the fourth largest city in the U.S. Yeah. So it's up there. Um, how big is Tampa Bay? I don't know. I know it's not... I mean, if they have three major markets... But the thing about Florida is it's a just a densely populated state altogether. So, um, you know, yeah. you, you have Jacksonville, Miami, Tampa Bay, right. Tallahassee. I mean, you have Gainesville, a lot of cities to draw fans from. Yeah. And you have a Orlando. Lo- a lot of cities, like bigger or medium-sized cities that don't have yeah. sports teams. Orlando, of course, is its own kind of world because yeah. of Disney. 
Yes, that's true. So, anyhow, well, we're at a minute, an hour and one minute. Thanks for tuning in. Taylor, thanks for being extra gracious today. Josh, thanks for you always um, keep being me from, such a willing conversation partner. Well, I'm just a little nervous about this one. We'll see, though. We will see. All um, right. <laughs> okay, bye, you guys.